only king forever. We repeat those words. You are the only king forever. You are the only king forever. When we're talking about Jesus, uh, one of the things we believe uh, is that Jesus is unlike any king. He's unlike anybody that's ever existed. And that's what we're going to get into a little bit today. Uh, my name's Wes. Welcome to The Crossings. If you're visiting here today, uh, I'm one of the guys that will get up here and teach from time to time. And we've been going through a series through the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to take a break from that for a few weeks uh, and do something a little different. Then we're going to get back into Acts later uh, in the year. And we're going to do some other things that are going to be fun. We'll be talking about that in the future. Um, but today, we are going to just look at a, a, a topic about the return of Jesus. We're, we're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about this because it's really, really, really important. And it fits with the overall theme of what we've been talking about this year, which is King Jesus. We've been talking about how Jesus is in charge of everything. We've been talking about how the church is his community that is uh, the followers of the king. And the good news in the first century and throughout the world that was being spread about Jesus is, hey, he didn't die. He, well, he did die, but he rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. And not only did he rise from the dead, he is literally the king of everything who's going to come and make everything right someday. And those that submit to him now are going to have a great life in eternity in the future. You're going to have a great life presently, but then you're going to have a great future. Those who don't are going to be apart from him. Um, in some of Jesus' teaching, he talks about this end that's going to come someday. He talks about uh, the way this story is going to wrap up. How many of you guys in here watch that TV show Lost? Anybody in here? It's a few years old, but man, it was such a huge hit. It was about these people uh, that got on this airplane, and they were going to take this trip, and then the plane went down, and they woke up on this island, and there's all this weird stuff happening on the island, and like you don't know as a viewer what's going on because there's these people that are like disappearing and in and out of their camp. There's just all kinds, I don't want to get into it. It was hard to understand that show. Because there was all this stuff happening while these people were stranded on this desert island. What they didn't tell you at the beginning of the show, do you want me to ruin it for you? Okay, this is an old show, if you hadn't seen it too bad. What they don't tell you on the show is everybody's dead. Episode one, everybody dies. There's seven seasons of this dang show, okay? They, don't, they wait until the seventh season to let you know, oh, yeah, episode one, everybody actually died. This was all like an afterlife. This whole thing, this whole show was an afterlife scenario. I was so mad at the end of Lost, I just wanted to punch somebody in the face, but then I got over it. Look, if I had known the end of that show, if I had known the genre was fantasy, when I was watching Lost, a lot of the episodes would have made sense. But because I thought I was watching a drama, I didn't understand the rules. I didn't understand there were parallel universes and there was like this magic stuff and all this stuff that made sense in a fantasy. It didn't make sense in a drama. When I understood the way the story ended, it made the rest of the story make sense. Does that make sense? Okay. When I know how life is going to end in an ultimate way, when I know, when God says, here's how the world is going to conclude. Here's how your story and the story of all humanity is going to conclude. When I know how it's going to end, it helps the meantime make sense. Because I know what we're headed to. I know the rules. And so I know when I'm facing something in life, guys, is it going to last forever if it's bad? 
Man, no, God's going to take that out back and whoop it. One of these days, he's going to make it right. Um, frequently, when Jesus is, is talking with his disciples, they will ask him questions about stuff like this. And a lot of the teaching that Jesus did with the 12 was just done along the road. You know, they, would, they, would, they were present when he was like up in front of groups, when Jesus was teaching crowds. They would hear all that stuff along with the crowd. But then as his followers... They didn't just get that crowd experience. They also got to walk with him along the road. And sometimes they would ask him questions and and he would teach them just as they were going along the way. And there's one time in particular in Matthew 24, you've got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have most of the scriptures we're going to look at on there. In Matthew 24, there's one of these um, instances where Jesus has a conversation with his followers and they casually kind of talk about some pretty, pretty heady stuff. Jesus left the temple, Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples... Oh, I'm sorry. Mike. Is Mike back there? I keep... I, this is the second week in a row I, I messed Mike up. Mike is supposed to be reading this passage of Scripture. And he ain't back there. Um, that was my fault, though. I'm sorry. Mike, I'm just going to read it, okay? Uh, oh, you walked all the way back? Go ahead now. Go ahead. Go ahead. If you got the mic, go ahead. Hey, you guys give Mike a hand. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Come on. Sorry, that was my bad. Okay, Matthew 24, 1 through 3. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to his buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, no one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when would this happen? And what would be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay, thank you, Mike. So this is Jesus. He's just left the temple. Uh, now, I want to give you a little bit of picture of what this looked like in, in your head, okay? The temple in Jerusalem was the center of everything religious and Jewish life. Uh, this was not... Solomon's temple by the time you get to the first century. This is a less glorious temple. Solomon's temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians prior. That's the one we read about uh, where that was overlaid with gold and all that stuff. This wasn't as nice as Solomon's temple, but this was still a really nice temple complex. This would have been imposing. This, would, this was lar- a large building. This was a large area. This was walls. This would have been an immaculate thing to look at. This was the center of religious life for the Jews in the first century. This is where they made all the sacrifices. This is where all the holidays sort of revolved around this. This is where you went to connect with God. This was where God lived. Uh, Jesus, walking with his disciples, points at this temple, and he says... A time is coming when not one of these stones that you see in this huge, immaculate structure, not one of these stones is going to be standing on top of one another. And this alarms the disciples because this is, this is where they go to church. More than that, this is where God lives in their teaching. This is what, what was taught. This is literally where God lived, the temple. Jesus predicted the Jewish temple would be destroyed before it happened. Before it happened. Um, That's important because I point that out. When Jesus says something is going to happen, what should we do? We need to listen. 
He has a really good track record. When he says something's going to happen, it happens. When he predicts something is going to happen in the future, it happens. Uh, I don't expect many hands to go up, but how many of you guys in here have heard of the Jewish-Roman War? Anybody? Okay. Uh, some of you, look it up on Wikipedia if you don't know what I'm talking about. There were three Jewish-Roman wars, the first of which happened in the first century. It started in 66 AD, okay? Uh, it started when, I forget which emperor, but one of the emperors got sideways with the Jews, and they executed in 66 AD 6,000 Jews in one day in Jerusalem. Not only did they execute 6,000 Jews, they also desecrated the temple. Guess what the Jews did? They rebelled. And there was a bloody battle that ensued that lasted for like four years. Jerusalem uh, was in and out of battle. Uh, eventually it was under siege for like seven months where they literally cut the whole city off from food. And the Jews inside, uh, they breached the first two walls. The Jews were behind the third one. The Jews inside started cannibalizing one another. It was really, really bad. Uh, that's something that Josephus writes about and other historians. I don't want to bore you with all that history stuff. What I do want you to get the point of is Jesus says, hey, disciples, this temple is going to get destroyed. This temple is going to get destroyed. And then guess what happens? It happens. Now, they ask him two questions after he says this temple is going to get destroyed. They, the disciples ask him two questions. First of all, when is this temple going to happen? When is this, when is this going to happen? When is this destruction going to occur? And then when are you going to come back? When's the end of the age going to come? When's the world going to be in? So there's two questions. Destruction of the temple and then end of the world. Jesus says in response to this question of the temple in Matthew 24, verse 34, he says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. When he says all these things in that phrase, he's talking specifically uh, about everything that he referenced before that besides the end of the world. So he's talking about the temple. He's talking about... Uh, times of famine, he's talking about times of distress. All of that, he says, is going to happen during the lifetimes of the apostles. Jesus gives this prediction. During the lifetime of the apostles, all of that stuff that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24 occurred. Battles, famine, false messiahs. A lot of people don't know there were a lot of people claiming to be messiah. In the first century, there were wars fought over it. Uh, if you want to look up some more history, look up the revolt of Bar Kokhba. Uh, it was a messianic figure who came to Jerusalem and claimed to be the Messiah, and he led a revolt against the Romans. It was quashed. There was a lot of stuff like that that happened. Uh, all of this stuff that Jesus says to expect, 100% of it came true. Um, the temple, the, the Jewish temple, was actually destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Now, there are a lot of prophecies in the Bible about how the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, he's going to visit the temple. Uh, guess what is not present on earth anymore? The temple. So for those who don't believe Jesus was the Messiah and they're still waiting around for the Messiah, well, now there's not a temple for their Messiah to go to. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. The only thing left from that complex, Jesus said not one stone upon another is going to be left standing here. The only thing left out of that complex that was present in Jesus' day is a small section of the western wall. We call that the Wailing Wall. And if you ever go to Jerusalem, 
Uh, it is considered a sacred place. You can write your prayers down. You can go up there and stick it in the wall. A lot of people go and make sojourns there to pray at the Wailing Wall uh, because it is the only thing left standing from that second temple complex. Jesus' words came true. Now, I could show you a whole bunch of other stuff that Jesus says is going to come true. I just share this bit about the temple to make this point. When Jesus says something is going to happen, we need to listen. When Jesus makes a prediction about the future, we need to listen. When Jesus says this is how the story is going to unfold, we need to listen. Why? Because Jesus has a 100% accuracy rate when it comes to talking about this stuff. He tells the truth. He even says, if you are on the side of truth, guess who you're going to listen to? You're going to listen to me. That's what Jesus says. All who are on the side of truth come to me. If you're a truth seeker, you need to listen to Jesus because he tells the truth. Uh, He says very explicitly, not only is this temple going to go away, he also says in response to the disciples' second part of the question, they said, when's the end of the age going to come? Jesus gives us some insight into that, okay? One of the things the Bible teaches is that someday there is going to be an end to this world. It is going to end. I've got a a graphic that I want to throw up on the screen for you. Um, How many of you guys have seen this? Okay, you've seen this little illustration. Uh, There was a guy down in Louisiana back in the 40s and 50s who uh, came up with this little series of drawings and he used to go in and he would eat like lunch with somebody and he'd talk with them about Jesus and he'd write this on a napkin. And it was just a really simple way to share what the Bible teaches about Jesus. What the Bible teaches about Jesus is that Jesus came to earth from heaven. He is not created. He wasn't uh, made like we were. He is God and he made himself a man and he came into the world. That's that first arrow. He went and died on the cross for us. You and I are sinners. Uh, We are not right with God. We are separate from God so long as we are in our sin. Jesus went and died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And after he died, he was buried in a tomb. But did he stay buried in that tomb? No, he got up out of that tomb, right? He got up out of that tomb and he started appearing to his friends. And he said, hey, I'm not dead. Matter of fact, everything I said is true. I'm the Messiah. I'm going to be the king of the world, right? I'm going to be in charge of everything. I'm going to make everything right. He goes to heaven. He tells his disciples before he leaves, go out and make disciples. He ascends to heaven, and we are in act two of a three-act play on this planet. We are right toward the end of the the end. We are right at that last arrow now. That is the only thing left is Jesus coming back. That last arrow in the story, that is the only thing left. He is currently in heaven. He has all the authority of God. He has all the power. He has all... Everything, right? He's gonna, he, he is in charge. When he comes back, he's not going to come back as a little baby. He's coming back in glory. When he comes back, he's not coming back humbly. He's going to come back in a way that everybody's going to see. Everybody's going to know who's in charge. But he's coming back. And that is what he says is next. Guys, God has a 100% accuracy rate when it comes to telling you the truth. If you are here today and you are having a hard time believing this, Jesus is real and he's coming back and he's in charge. And we have to deal with that. 
Like what we do with that is up to us. But that's the reality. He's in charge and he's coming back. He tells these guys this. The question, what will signal your return? What will signal your return and the end of the world? That's from uh, Matthew 24, verse 3b. What will it look like when Jesus comes back? Here's some things that Jesus tells us explicitly, and this is what we're going to camp on today, okay? Jesus promises when he returns, number one, his return will be unmistakable. His return will be unmistakable. So I should be aware that the return of Jesus is going to be unmistakable. Nothing that has ever occurred on earth or ever will occur on earth is going to compare to what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says over and over, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. I'm here to tell you when Jesus returns, that's going to be something new. Because it ain't under the sun. It's over the sun. It's going to be something the world has never seen. It's going to be a singularity that is unlike anything. There's not going to be a mistake. Like, is that Jesus? I don't really know. No. There's not going to be a wondering. Is that him? I, I don't know. No, no, you're going to know it's him. There's only going to be one. And it's going to be a new experience for everybody. Everybody's going to see it. Matthew 24, 27 is lightning that comes from the east, is visible even in the west. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Everybody on earth is going to see it. In other parts of the Bible, it describes kind of a flattening of reality where everybody can see Jesus coming. But the rules of time and space don't apply. He's in charge of them. Okay, If he wants everybody to see him, they will. Uh, everybody's going to see him. This is going to grab everybody's attention. You're not going to have your head, like your earbuds in, and um, I'm watching Netflix, you know. What's that noise? I'm not going to look. No, this is going to demand your attention. You are going to drop the earbuds, right? You're going to be looking at him. The whole universe is going to respond to Jesus coming back. This isn't going to be a casual event for anybody. It's not even going to be a casual event for celestial bodies like the stars and the sun and the moon. Uh, it says the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. Even the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. Then all peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to see it. This is going to be unmistakable. There have been natural disasters that have occurred. A few years ago in Mexico, there was a gas line that blew where it just caused a wall of fire, like over a mile long. For the people in that village, like that's all they could see was a wall of fire. And videos online showed people saying, is Jesus coming back? Is Jesus coming? They were asking because all they could see is Jesus coming back. There was a question, though. Guys, when it happens, there will not be a question. We're going to know. One thing that's going to signal the return of Jesus, in addition to, a being, to being able to see him, the dead are going to come up from the graves. Okay? The dead are going to rise. 
It says uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. He's talking to Christians here. He would not say this to people that weren't disciples. He wouldn't say to a group of people, you'll be with the Lord forever if they weren't committed to Jesus. You need to understand that. The Bible does not teach everybody goes to heaven. The Bible teaches those who are committed to Jesus get to be with Jesus. We get to make that choice, right? So this is not like a universalism thing. Um, he is saying that his return is going to be unmistakable. And one of the things that's going to be a mark of when Jesus really comes back is the dead are going to rise from the grave. The dead in Christ first. He says here. So maybe disciples first. Um, unmistakable. Secondly, Jesus promises when he returns, his judgment will be universal. His return will be unmistakable. His judgment will be universal. That means every injustice. That means every wrong. That means everything broken in the world is going to be made right. That's, that's easy to say, hard to wrap my mind around. Hard to wrap my mind around. Uh, everybody on earth is going to be judged. It says in Matthew 24, 31, he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Elect just means chosen. He will gather his chosen ones. His chosen ones. Guess who his chosen ones are? Those who choose to follow Jesus. You get to decide whether you're among the chosen or not. You are not uh, some little robot that God designed just to make all your decisions for you. You were created in the image of God with the ability to make moral choices. You were created in the image of God with the ability to say yes and no. You are a little sovereign over your will. God gives you that in his sovereignty. He didn't create you to be a little robot. He did create you to be a faithful follower. You get to choose whether you're going to do that or not. But for everybody that chooses to be part of the church, those are the predestined of God, those who are part of the church of God. That's choice. You get to choose. So what are you going to do with that choice? Everybody's going to be judged. Everybody's going to be judged for their choice. You can either be part of the chosen or not, but make no mistake, God chooses you. Do you choose God? That's the question. He chooses you. When Jesus comes back, guys, there's going to be a separation of people based on the choice you make in life. You are either going to be a sheep or you are going to be a goat. We got any grunge music fans in here? Okay. Anybody like the band Cake? You have not lived until you have gone to Memphis, Tennessee and sang sheep go to heaven and goats go to hell with a bunch of heathens at a bar. Uh, New Daisy, 2002, Cake, that song, first time I heard it, uh, it stuck with me. Sheep go to heaven, goats go to hell. He just repeats it. That's the chorus of the song. Did you know that's in the Bible? It is. Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. 
He'll put the sheep on his right. He'll put the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. There is a finality of judgment. What judgment looks like is uh, debated, but there is a finality here. Some people uh, have a hard time with the idea of hell because what kind of a loving God would make a place like hell? Uh, well, the loving kind. The loving kind, guys. There's got to be a right to the wrong. There's got to be a consequence. Now, some people believe that uh, hell is eternal conscious torment. Like you're there consciously awake. While you're... Some people believe hell is eternal death. All I know is it's bad, and you don't want to go there. Like, you can make a case biblically either way. You don't want to go to hell. You don't want to go, and you don't want any of your friends to go. But you get to choose whether you're going to be a sheep or a goat. You just get to choose it. It is not a choice that's made for you. Uh, And honestly, guys, there are people who sit and have pity parties and think, oh, I'm just bad, I can't do, and they, they sit and they don't do anything and have a pity, where they're just, they're, you're being inwardly focused if you get in that mindset where you think you're not good enough so you don't do anything because you're just a piece of crap, who are you thinking about if that's your mindset? Who, you're just thinking about you. You're just prideful. Now, you're calling yourself a piece of crap. Usually, we would associate that with humility, which is, a misunderstanding. But honestly, even if it's self-loathing and you're just focused on you, it's just pride. Because you're just focused on you. But honestly, guys, that is one of those things that gets in the way of people making this choice. Why would I try? I'm a piece of crap anyway. I don't mean to be crude, but you can't polish a turd. Like you guys have heard that. People apply that to themselves. Like why would I even try? I'm just a piece of crap. And they live that way. And they sit and... I can't do anything. I can't follow God. I'm never, this is never going to work out anyway. I'm, I'm special in a bad way. And they don't move. Guys, you, you have a choice to make. You can ascribe to that stinking thinking and you can have a pity party and, and you can put all the focus on you and how bad you are. You need to understand that is just pride. That is just sinful pride. And you can couch it in self-loathing and try to justify it, but it is nothing but pride. It is every bit as much a pride as somebody who's on the other end and really arrogant and thinks they know everything. I am running more and more into people who are falling to the self-loathing side of things, and that self-loathing is keeping them from moving. I'm running into folks who struggle with that more than I am folks who are super arrogant and prideful. And it's almost like we justify the self-loathing and that's somehow noble. Guys, it's just pride. And you need to understand that. A bunch of you listening to me right now, you struggle with this, okay? You know who you are. You struggle with this. You need to see that for what it is. It's pride and it's a sin. And it's going to keep you in the goat category because you will never follow Jesus so long as you're just thinking about you all the time. Okay? That's just, that's, that's the truth. You've got to get over that. Uh, somebody, I've told this story before, but uh, several of you have not heard it, okay? Um, a guy came to, to God one time and said, hey, uh, God, can you show me what heaven and hell is like? And so God gave this guy a vision. 
And uh, in the the first room that this guy came to, there was this long table as far as the eye could see. And on this table was this great feast, man. Every kind of food you could think of, turkey and dressing and yams and ham and barbecue and, and, and drinks and milkshakes and ice cream, just everything you could think of that's good to eat was sitting on this table. Table as long as the eye could see, just goes to the horizon. Got chairs along it, right? People sitting at this table. All the people sitting at this table are emaciated and starving, even though there's this feast right in front of them. Now, each person sitting at the table has one arm strapped to the arm of the chair. They have their other arm free to eat with, but then they have an eating utensil that's attached to their hand that's a little bit longer than their forearm. So they're able to get the food, and they're able to kind of maneuver it close to their head, but they just can't get it in their mouth. They can get it close, they just can't. And so they're like trying to toss it, and they're getting it on their face, and they're starving, so like you see their ribs, like you can see their bloodshot eyes, and like this guy over here is laughing at the one down the, the table because he can't eat, and so this guy's getting mad, and he's stabbing him with the fork. And so there's bleeding, and there's moaning, and there's... there's agony. And and this whole table, man, is just a bunch of starving people unable to feed themselves, even though there's a feast, even though there's abundance. God looks at the man and says, that's what hell is like. Let me show you what heaven is like. Takes him to another room. It is the same table. It is the same food. It is the same chairs. It is the same, my arm is tied, and this one has something that's too long to eat with on it. But everybody around the table was fat. They were laughing, and they were feasting. And instead of sounds of agony, instead of sounds of moaning, you hear sounds of laughter. You hear sounds of people telling stories. You hear hear sounds of fellowship, happy fellowship. You want to know what the difference is? Everybody was not just trying to feed themselves. The the fork was too long to get the food to their own mouth, but guess what? It was just right to put the food in the mouth of their neighbor. And so everybody is sitting around the table, and instead of just focusing on their own needs, they're actually focusing on the needs of those around them. And they make the table work. And God says that's what heaven is like. Can you imagine living in a world where every single person you encounter treats you like Jesus Christ would treat you? Can you imagine? Can you imagine growing up where there's no such thing as an unsafe neighbor that molests kids? That would have been nice to have in my neighborhood growing up. Can you imagine there's no domestic disputes There's no husbands beating wives or beating children. There's no DCFS calls. There's no rehabs. There's no jails. There's no scandals. There's no culture wars. There's no elections. Can you imagine? 
No sickness, no pandemics, no tears, no sorrow, no backbiting, no gossip. Can you imagine? Can you imagine living in a world for eternity with those things? Would you like that? Okay. All the bad stuff? No. Guys, when we say that God's judgment is going to be universal, uh, that is a scary thing for those that are on the wrong side of the Lord. But for those of us that are disciples, guys, when, when his judgment is going to be universal, you need to understand every single broken thing is going to be made right. Do you guys get that? Every single broken thing is going to be made right. And we get to live in that. That is a blessing, man. That is beautiful. It is sin that has broken this world to pieces. It is sin that has broken your life to pieces. If you're messed up today, it's because of sin. And Jesus takes care of your sin. You get to choose whether you're going to be a sheep or a goat. But one of the reasons it's easy to choose to be a sheep is because of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, We take communion here at the crossings every week. Uh, We do that because Jesus told us to. This was his idea. We didn't come up with this, okay? But the reason Jesus instructed us to do this weekly, I think, is because he wants us to be reminded that we serve a God who loves us enough to bleed for us. Whenever Jesus calls me to do something hard or give up something that's difficult for me, it's helpful for me to look at the cross and remember, hey, he bled for me. If he's calling for me to do something a little bit uncomfortable and I'm getting an attitude about it or whining, man, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Who the heck am I to whine? He bled for me, man. Like, and when I get that in my heart, that reorients my week. When I think about that, like, I serve a God who loved me enough to bleed for me. That's love. He did it. Uh, I'm going to pray and we're going to take communion together. And then uh, we will wrap up. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the cross. I pray as we take communion, we will examine ourselves. Help us to look at our hearts, God. Am I a sheep or a goat? How am I living? You died on the cross for me. God, is there things in my life that I'm, I'm taking advantage of your grace? Help me not to do that. Where I've messed up, God, help me, to, help me to repent. If I need to ask for help, give me the courage to do that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Number three, um, Jesus promises when he returns, his timing will be unpredictable. His timing will be unpredictable. And that's important to point out uh, because every few months, there's some kind of prediction of the end of the world that pops up. This is nothing new, guys. Uh, We see it in the media a lot in the present day, but honestly, this has gone on for hundreds of years. If you look up 
Predictions of the end of the world. I almost did this as an illustration. Look up the Wikipedia article. Man, you just start scrolling, and you'll just scroll, and you'll scroll, and you'll scroll. <laughs> because every couple months, somebody's predicting the end of the world. And there's all these cases outlined and, and cited. Uh, a lot of folks uh, don't know Christian denominations uh, have been started that are still around, that started out as end of the world. Here's the exact date the world's going to end. Seventh-day Adventist is one of them. Uh, and there's several others. I don't want to uh, bore you with all that. Uh, but there's a lot of them. And so this is a thing. Uh, you want to know what I know with certainty whenever somebody comes and says, hey, the world is going to end on this date at this time. Guess what I know for 100% fact is, is not going to happen. It's not going to happen when they say. You want to know why I know that and why you don't ever have to be afraid when somebody says the world's going to end? You want to know? Because the Bible says only God knows when that's going to happen. And if anybody comes along saying that they know something that only God knows, they're lying or they're deceived, or they're crazy. Those are the choices, okay? Um, regarding when Jesus will return, Matthew 24, 36, and 37, this is Jesus' response. Now remember, the disciples said, hey, when's the temple going to get destroyed, and when's, when's the end of the age going to come? He tells them, temple's going to get destroyed during your lifetimes. What happens? Temple gets destroyed during their lifetimes. They say, when's the end of the age going to come? Here's Jesus' response. About that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Who in here knows the story of Noah? Okay. Uh, God tells Noah there's going to come a rain, there's going to be a flood, build a boat, go get in it. Noah goes and tells the people and warns them, there's going to come a rain, God said to build a boat and to get in it. What did the people say? You're crazy. There's not going to be any, what's, what's rain? First of all, what is this rain you're speaking of? Second of all, you're crazy. We're not listening to you. What happened to those people? Man, they were banging on the door of that ark, weren't they? You ever seen any of them kids' paintings of the Noah's Ark? Man, they're scary. You go to a kid's classroom and we'll like make these little nice paintings of Noah with the ark and little stick animals and all oh, it's fun. Man, you look at a realistic painting of Noah's ark and then people banging on it trying to get in while they're drowning outside. Here you go, kids. Here's a happy story for you. Right? We don't want to talk about that. This was horrible. Jesus says that's what it's going to be like for some people at the end of the age. Because we Christians are coming and we're saying, hey, there's going to be a judgment someday. There's going to be a judgment someday. The way this story ends, you need to orient your life around the ending. You know, back to that lost scenario. If you knew the story of lost, you would have watched it differently, okay? If you know the story of life, you would have lived it differently. That's why Jesus tells you the ending. There's going to come a judgment. You need to be ready for it. We got to get ready. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, okay? He reminded them in, in his letter to them not to worry about the end. Uh, there are some Christian movements, all they want to talk about is the end of the world. It's all they want to talk about. It's all their theology, everything is end of the world this, end of the world that. Uh, this is not something to obsess over, according to Jesus. There were cults in the first century that obsessed over the apocalypse. First Thessalonians, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates... We don't need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Okay. Paul's word to the Thessalonians. Don't worry about the date. You guys get that? His word to you. The world's going to end someday. What do you need to do? Don't worry about the date. What do you need to do? You need to be ready. You need to remain ready. That's what he tells the Thessalonians. Jesus is coming back someday. We don't know when it is. If anybody comes and says they know when it is, they don't. Only God knows when it is. What you need to do is be ready. Okay? What if I die before he comes back? When he comes back, what does that passage we read earlier say? The dead in Christ will rise first. It's going to be like you fall asleep, and your next memory is going to be you get to be with Jesus. You get to look forward to that. You guys realize that? It's going to be like the blink of an eye, and you get to be with Jesus. And all this stuff that we're talking about, heaven and being with him, guys, that is reality. That is not a fairy tale. This isn't something we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better about life. I believe with every fiber of my being, this is reality. I believe it. I've had stuff happen. I've had experiences with God. Uh, that I believe that to the core of my being. And when I die, if Jesus hasn't already come back, I'm going to wake up being ro- risen up from that grave when he does come back whether it's next month or next year or next millennia, whenever he chooses to do that. You want to know the only reason Jesus doesn't come back today? You want to know why? Because some of you in here aren't right yet with him. God says, he, the Bible says God isn't slow in keeping his promise, but he is patient giving you time to repent. He didn't come back today because some of you would go to hell if he came back today. But he gave you sovereign will. You were created in his image. You have the ability to choose Jesus or not. You can be a sheep or you can be a goat. There is not an in-between. There's not like a purgatory gray area. You are either a sheep or a goat. There's not an in-betweeny heaven, okay? There is heaven and there's hell. You're either with them or you're not. That area in between, we call that the lukewarm gray area. Guess what God says about that? It makes him sick. Be one or the other. Don't ride the fence. Okay? And lessons like this, they help us not ride the fence. Because when you know the end is coming, it just sort of hits you upside the head. You need to orient your life around the conclusion. If you know the end of the story, it's going to affect the way you live in the middle. So the question is, are you ready? Jesus says, we don't know when I'm, you don't know when I'm coming back. You're not going to know when I'm coming back. You need to be ready. You need to remain ready. My question to you today is, are you ready? Most important question you will ever ask in your life is, who is Jesus Christ I believe Jesus Christ is God and he's king of the universe and he wants you to get ready by submitting to him and giving your life to him. 
And his invitation, this is last one. Jesus says that right now, guys, his invitation is open to me. His invitation is open to me. So his return will be unmistakable. His judgment will be universal. His timing will be unpredictable. And his invitation is open to me right now. If you're sitting there today, you know you are not right with Jesus. His invitation is open to you right now. It says in Matthew 24, starting in 42, Therefore keep watch, because you don't know what day the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time the thief of the night was coming, he would have kept watch and not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. He says, be ready, man. Don't put it off. Don't say this is something I'm going to do later. I want to I have one more party. I want to have one more blowout. I want to have one more whatever. Don't do that. He's saying, don't put it off. Be ready. So what does getting ready look like? I can tell you, for, for all of us, guys, the most important Command in the whole Bible is to love God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We uh, study the Bible with folks when they start uh, thinking about uh, their relationship with God. We start with seeking God. That's the first thing we look at. We want to talk about seeking God with all your heart. It's, it's the same, as, as same concept as loving God. When you put God first, that's the foundation for everything else. Jesus says the most important command in the whole Bible is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you want to start a relationship with God, if you want to become a sheep, that's what it starts with is love for God. He is real. He wants a relationship with you. Christianity is not about just following a bunch of rules. It is about relationship with God the Father who loves you and and gave his son for you, first and foremost. It is a relational thing. But honestly, to have a good relationship with God, that is not something that's just going to be you and God either. You need help. I need help. When I started seeking God, guess what I didn't know? Anything. I was a blank slate. I wanted to seek God. I just didn't know how. And so I had to go uh, pair up with people that had been doing it a while that could teach me. And I would just go ask them questions. And I'd follow them around like a puppy dog. How do you do this life thing? Right? How do you interact with your family? How do you treat that guy over there who's flipping you off in traffic? Like, what, what do you do uh, with this situation, with that situation? I needed help because I had people that knew God. They loved God, but they also knew God's word that I didn't know. And when I had questions or when I uh, was struggling, I could tell them stuff. And then it was like they could give me instant feedback because they knew me. They knew my story, but they also knew the Bible. And so they were able to share stuff with me when I didn't know anything. All of us, when we're starting out trying to seek God, we start out not knowing anything. That's what the church is for. God set the church up for us because he never meant for us to do this by ourselves. He always meant for us to have help. That's the whole point of the church. You guys know this is Jesus's idea. We didn't like come up with this later and like, hey, let's form a club of people who like Jesus. No, he came up with this. We are to be a family 
to support one another. And, and what the Bible teaches is that we all have gifts. Like none of us are complete. We all are like a piece of the puzzle. But when God puts us all together, that's where the complete puzzle, it, it comes from us being together. And so this togetherness is just intrinsic in, in seeking God. You want to get right with God. You want to be ready before Jesus comes back. You need to love God, number one. First and foremost, you need to love God. You also need to, to get involved with God's people. And that's why the church is here. Because God's people are going to be the ones that help you learn to love God practically in a day-to-day life way where it makes a difference. You can become a religious person who talks about God and reads your Bible and make no changes to your life. Or you can become a person who really wants to seek God and you're willing to make the sacrifices you need to make to to get the help. Because guys, I'll just tell you, if, if there's stuff in your life, if you haven't been following Jesus and suddenly you start following Jesus, there's going to be stuff in your life that's hard to change. I can just tell you that. Okay, if you want to come into a relationship with Jesus and not change anything, get out. Like, it ain't going to work. Uh, you, when you get into a relationship with Jesus, he demands change. And it's hard to make those changes, but it's not impossible. Okay, it's not impossible. Um, let me share a scripture that I think will give you some clarity, and this is what we'll end with today. It's Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. If you're thinking about a relationship with Jesus... If you're thinking about becoming a sheep, uh, here's what Jesus' word to you, I believe, is. He says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Does that sound good? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, Some of you are like, what's a yoke? Anybody in here know what a yoke is? Okay, some of you do, some of you don't. So a yoke, I should have probably put a uh, picture up. A yoke is a tool uh, that a lot of times was used with cattle or oxen. Uh, a yoke is uh, a wooden thing where they would put their, put their head through this ring uh, and they would have it where it would basically link two oxen together. That's probably the picture of a yoke you have in your mind, right? The kind that links animals together. Now, the old teaching, uh, whenever people would come across this passage in Scripture, it would, you know, back in the ancient times when they had an ox team, they would usually have a more experienced ox Uh, that they would pair with a less experienced ox, a stronger ox with a weaker ox, and they would pair them together where the stronger, more experienced ox knew the routes, it knew how to pull, and so the younger, weaker one, because it was linked to the older one, would learn over time, right? And so it would learn how to be a good ox. Uh, Some people would look at this passage and say, Jesus is saying, Uh, take my yoke. He's saying, like, you are yoked to me. Like, I'm going to wear part of it, and you wear part of it, and I'm Jesus, so I'm pulling more, and I'm pulling harder. And so this is an illustration where uh, Jesus is saying, I'll just take the work on, and, you know, I'll pull harder. eh, Maybe. Uh, Okay. What I didn't know is uh, there's actually a thing called a human yoke uh, that was present in the first century. Uh, They didn't just use yokes on cattle, They actually had a singular yoke that humans would use. Uh, When you were pulling a heavy load, 
it would redistribute the weight where you could pull a much heavier load than you could without a yoke because you were using a tool, okay? What I think Jesus is saying in this passage is if you have a heavy burden, anybody in here ever feel heavily burdened in life? Okay, I have. What Jesus is saying right here is if you have a heavy burden, if you are weary and burdened, you can come to Jesus. Now, he doesn't say he's going to take the burden away. Did you notice that? It doesn't say he's going to snap his fingers and everything's going to just get better overnight. It doesn't say the burden is going to go away. What he says is take my yoke. Let me give you the tools that you need to handle this burden. He doesn't say he's going to take the burden away. He says, I'm going to give you the tools you need to handle this burden. I'm going to give you the yoke. Take my yoke upon you. You're going to be able to pull through. You're going to be able to deal with this burden with my help. I'm going to equip you with the tools you need to make it. Guys, if you are feeling heavy and burdened in here, I'm not here to tell you God's going to take your burden away. What I am here to tell you is God will help you deal with it. And he will help you deal with it in a way that is honoring to him, but also good for you. And what you will learn when you learn to be faithful to God through adversity is you will grow more in maturity and as a person than anything else in your life because there's a refining process that takes place when you deal with adversity and you deal with it in a faithful way. God has designed us to work that way. Guys, Jesus doesn't want you to hurt. But at the same time, hurt is going to be part of living in a broken world. Jesus will help you deal with your hurt. And Jesus will help you take your hurt, and, and he'll, he'll turn it into a blessing. Man, he's got a way of taking darkness and turning it into light when we give it to him. We just got to give it to him. We're going to close out today. Um, there's a communication card in your bulletin. I do want to invite everybody to pull that out, because anytime we open up God's word, uh, we want to take a time uh, to respond. If we get used to just looking at God's word, not responding, uh, if it becomes an in one ear, out the other kind of thing, we're actively having to harden our heart. And that is a very dangerous place to put yourself into and a very dangerous habit where you get used to hearing God's word, not responding to it. That becomes a very dangerous habit. Don't do that. I want to invite you to respond if there was anything that was said today uh, that you need help with. Guys, if you are riding the fence... If you've been a goat and you know it and you want to become a sheep, if you have uh, been investigating a relationship with God or right, maybe on the fence of investigating a relationship with God. Guys, there's no such thing as a dumb question. If you're here today and you're doubting, there's, nobody's going to look down on you for that. I do want to encourage you to ask, ask for help. You know, ask to talk to somebody. Uh, we've got all kinds of stuff we can show you and things we can share with you. I guarantee you if you're struggling with something, there are people here who have struggled with it too and gotten help, uh, you are in a safe place. Uh, if you're struggling today with an addiction, if you're struggling with the, you know, something in a relationship, marriage, whatever, guys, you are in a safe place where nobody is going to look down on you for struggling. We believe God put us here because God wants to connect with you. Uh, we believe in divine appointments, guys. We prayed for God to send people to our church that needed this church. And so a lot of people, we believe, come in response to that prayer. 
And so if you're here today and you need help, if you need a, a help in your relationship with God, if you need help with something else, I want you to, to, to connect. Um, I also just want to invite you to, to make a friend, too. Uh, even if you don't feel really needy today, maybe you just need community. Uh, man, let's go get some lunch after. we got a bunch of people that are going to, to eat after church here today. We've got small groups that are meeting uh, throughout the, the month. Uh, if you want to plug in, we would love to get to know you better. Um, and there's all kinds of stuff on that card if you want to see all the things we offer that you can kind of read over. And I won't uh, repeat all of them here. But I do invite you to read over that and to fill that card out. I'm going to pray in a moment. Uh, after my prayer, we're going to sing a song. And during that song, you're going to have all the time you need to fill your card out. Uh, after that first song, we will sing one more to close. And we'll pass some baskets. And you can just drop your card in that basket. Uh, again, I want to invite you to respond because we really do want to connect and we want to get to know your, uh, your story and, and who you are and how we can help you. Uh, I'm going to pray and we'll be done. God, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for the gift of your word, Lord. Thank you for the promises that you make to us so that we know how to orient our lives. God, we know you're coming back someday and we're going to have to give an account of our lives. Knowing that truth should affect the way I live day to day. Knowing that truth should affect the way I see the people around me because not only am I going to have to give an account of my life, they're going to have to give an account of their life. I want to make sure that I'm a blessing to those around me. God, for those seeking you, I pray they rush into your arms. For those on the fence, Lord, I pray you prompt them and motivate them in their hearts. God, if we're struggling with something we're scared to talk about or afraid to bring up, help us to get over our fear. Help us to release that to you. God, help us to trust you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.